Hello, and welcome to episode 20 of the Medical Device Success Podcast. I am Ted Newell, your host, and this is also a video cast. This is part two of a three-part series on virtual trade shows and alternatives. And we've made this three-part series a video cast as well because some of the material we're sharing is, I think, better communicated in a video cast. However, I think you will understand the podcast as well quite well. So I'm collaborating to produce these video casts with Lisa Bixel of Bixel Medical Marketing Group and her crew. And today we are interviewing two leaders in the healthcare trade show and event ecosystem. I think you'll find their information interesting and valuable. And on a humorous note, one thing you'll learn about in this video cast is that you can have a pigeon in your virtual booth. More on that later. Finally, I'd like to say that unfortunately there was a storm going through Pennsylvania when we were doing this video cast, and that storm interfered with the quality of the video. So you're going to see a lot of pixelation and an occasional freeze up. However, the audio is good. So continue to listen. I think you'll enjoy it. Let's get on to the subject. Welcome to the second of our three-part series about trade shows, virtual trade shows, events, and possible alternatives. And today we are very fortunate to have leaders of the healthcare exhibition and event ecosystem with us to discuss the, these issues. And I'd like to introduce these people right now. So uh, first of all, we have Jeannie Wirt, who's the director, director of exhibition management at Siemens Health and Ears, and she's also the board president of the Healthcare Convention and Exhibitors Association, the HCEA. So uh, Jeannie's bringing to us some real interesting experience as somebody that has to deal with this on the company side, but also has a lot of insight from the entire community side, being the president of the HCEA. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And we also have Mike Ellery, who is the Chief Creative Officer of Sparks Marketing Corporation. And Sparks is a world leader in exhibition um, and event management. Uh, and of course, they've had to do quite a, make quite a change, and we're going to talk about that, because they're not setting up exhibits right now or, or designing the hardware. They're doing it virtually. So, Mike, it's really great to have you here today. Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And then finally, we have Lisa Bixel, CEO of Bixel Medical Marketing Group. And uh, Bixel Medical Marketing Group is a, um, I made a mistake the other day, I said it was an agency, but really it's an organization that helps lead the marketing and sales efforts for uh, small to medium-sized companies, frequently startups. So she is really dealing with challenges with, uh, organizations that have tight budgets working in a totally new environment. Lisa, it's really great to have you here. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Uh, you're welcome. And she said having her back, I've <laughs> collaborated with Lisa on a, several podcasts and just really impressed with her team and um, the work that they do. So a little bit of background for those that did not see the previous uh, podcast video cast is that 
we have a three-part series, and this is the second of the three parts. In the first part, we went into some depth about virtual trade shows, and we had a, a, a long agenda. It was a long program. This will, today's should be shorter, uh, discussing a, a lot of the issues related to virtual trade shows, events, and alternatives. And Lisa and her crew really helped with that, and it was a terrific program. But today, like I said, we're talking to people that are actually in the field dealing with this day in and day out. And that's why we're here today, to get an, an outside perspective on, on these problems and potential solutions. And then next week, we're putting together several doctors that will be in part three. We're going to talk to doctors about how they view this situation and what it means to them, whether they're attending something virtually or they'd like to attend something in person. So to get started today, um, I would just like to, one thing I'd like to do is talk a little bit about the HCEA to get started, the Healthcare Exhibitors um, Association. So Jeannie, can you just tell us a little bit about this association and why it's important that medical device companies, life science companies belong to it? Sure. HCEA is a trade association that is comprised of associations corporate entities like a Siemens um, and vendor partners as well, like Sparks. Um, so together, um, we form a very informed body on the landscape overall um, in the live event space, but with specific regard to healthcare. So everyone in this membership organization um, is focused on the execution of events in the healthcare space, whether that's pharmaceutical, biotech, biopharma, med device, you name it. Um, and so when we are looking through how the industry is performing, we're looking at it specifically in that regard. So we're looking for data and at data sets in regards to how healthcare in the event space is performing in general. Um, and it's a very tight group. So you have a lot of informed uh, legacy veteran participants who are very knowledgeable in the space and, and would consider our members to be experts in the field of healthcare exhibition and events. That it's a go-to when you're talking about this arena. And what does somebody gain by belonging to this organization? It really expands your network. And for those of you that are, are working in the corporate space, it's typically competitive, right? Um, so we're not necessarily going to approach our competitors to say, hey, this is really great. Can you take me through how you did this? Um, you're really thinking with your corporate hat on. In HCEA, you have the ability to form those relationships, have dialogue and discussion on what's a best demonstrated practice from the industry overall and it is not from the corporate perspective it is how are we handling regulations that impact what we do from a marketing perspective how are we tackling gdpr with specific regard to healthcare events how are we checking and regulating and working within the new set of pharma codes so it's it's a very unique language that is spoken with regard to healthcare activities. Um, and it gives you the freedom to be able to say, this is a best demonstrated process. This is how it's being handled across. Um, and it allows us to create some standards that are unique to our environment specifically, um, because they don't always translate into other fields. It's, it's a different um, B2B, B2C environment than your typical. And so if a company belonged to the organization, it, it might be their event manager or their director of marketing, marketing manager that was participating as, as, as the representative of the company. 
Correct. We have everything from event managers to exhibit managers, heads of marketing, marketing and communications, communications managers all fit into that spectrum. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Lisa, I understand you, you belong to this organization, correct? I do. I've actually first joined um, in the 90s, so quite some time. And I've, I've kept my membership off and on over the years, mostly, again, like we were just talking about, depending on the role I was at my organization. Um, when I was you know, head of marketing and sales, I would generally have my events manager join HCA and we'd stay plugged in in that way. Okay. Okay. Well, great. So for all listeners out there, Find out if your company belongs. If they don't, they should look into it because it's a great Definitely. resource. It may make you more competitive when you're out participating in events, whether they're virtual or whether they're in person. Okay, so that's the HCEA. Very good. <laughs> so that segues us into you know the landscape right now. I really don't have to go into too much detail on this, but trade shows for the most part, national, regional trade shows, are pretty much shut down through the end of the year. It could be into early next year. One thing Lisa made me aware of in our last uh, uh, video cast and podcast is that some state organizations are still ha having their programs, especially if like they're late later in the year, they still are scheduled. And, and that's what Lisa, because they can drive there, right? Right, and that's what we're hearing is that if it's a regional conference and no one you know, really has to go to an airport, get on a plane and fly to it, that those things are still starting to uh, be considered at least at opening up again. Of course, when you get there, um, good social distancing practices, the masks and you know, sitting apart are all being maintained. Uh, but again, as long as I could drive there, if I'm a physician or a nurse or any kind of a healthcare professional, then those are starting to be um, at least communicated as being live events again. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. And I don't know if um, uh, Mike and Jeannie, if you saw the Philadelphia Inquirer this last week in the Sunday paper, the first page article, I think it was first page. There's a little thing down at the bottom, but they have an article about um, the fact that for Philadelphia, conventions are $7 billion. Wow. And local mm -hmm. revenue. And so uh, they were talking about trying to get some of that back on track and how much money that the uh, Philadelphia Convention Center has invested in air recirculation systems, um, uh, special coverings on things that you would handle like doorknobs, bathroom doors, and so on that are antimicrobial. And they even have on the um, escalators, they're building in these um, ultraviolet light systems so as the escalator mm -hmm. handle goes around, it gets a hit with the with this ultraviolet light and sanitized as it before it comes back out. Wow! So constantly being so the the money they're putting into this, but um, and I think for there's probably some industries where this will probably be fine. I think when we start talking about medical and we're talking about doctors coming, one of the issues that um, Lisa and I and Lauren discussed last week is that these doctors have a real issue about the possibility that if they go someplace and become ill or exposed, and they maybe not even ill, but they're exposed, they come home, they're quarantined, they can't go to their office, they can't participate in their office practice, they put everybody under pressure, they can't work at the hospital, be on call. So there's a lot of stakeholders that lose out if a doctor becomes exposed and or infected. Mm -hmm. So they, there's a, 
and that affects their income, the income of the practice. There's a big ripple effect. So our particular stakeholders, if we're talking about the doctors in, in one case here, it's, it's a real issue. Um, so let's start off, Jeannie, with you. Um, you know, looking at this from your role as the president of the HCEA, you know, how do you think this is affecting medical societies? So there's a huge impact financially, and it's that uh, article in the Anchor was interesting. Overall, exhibitions contributes $101 billion to the GDP. So it is this absolute machine um, in terms of economic drivers in the U.S. And, and that's just looking at the U.S., right? Globally, the number exponentially increases. From a healthcare perspective, um, those investments are significant as well. And you have kind of key corridors where shows are targeted to take place um, based on innovations in science themselves. So where you have a lot of pharma companies, where you have a lot of med devices, you tend to see a lot of healthcare trade shows. Um, so those local economies are feeling the pinch just as economies are all over from this um, lack of business. Um, but you're seeing the downturn in revenue generation from a corporate perspective as well, right? I think on average overall, it's around a 14% decrease right now in terms of revenue generation and healthcare certainly makes up a part of that. From an association standpoint, um, healthcare associations are like any other association, which is like any other business. Um, you need those moments that generate revenue in order to continue. And a good majority of those um, thrive on their annual event. They are a significant part of their revenue generation model. Um, and typically that can run anywhere from 50 to 70% of their annual revenue, um, which offsets then their operating expense. So the minute that you take away that annual event, you really have put them in financial jeopardy um, for long-term success, right? Um, so it's, it's definitely problematic. Um, a lot are really looking to pivot and how they change that model, how they find new streams for revenue in order to stay viable. Um, and, and so there's gonna be a lot of, I think as we continue in this space for some time, um, a lot of exploration of how do we change the model? How do we do this differently? How do we find new waypoints for revenue in order to stay successful? And it's it'll be interesting to see of those which make the transition quickly and, and which really come out on top. So how do you think this is affecting their decision making as they move into this virtual situation? So you, I think, and all of us, and even myself as, as board president for HCEA, you kind of find yourself in this decision making tree of what are the risks? What are the financial ramifications at the start of COVID, it was very easy to negotiate your way out with force majeure, right? It was new. We didn't know enough about it. It was happening very quickly. Um, everybody went into shelter place or quarantine or some degree of isolation. The longer this goes on, the more difficult that becomes um, because of this overwhelming loss of revenue, right? At, at a city level, at a state level. Um, so local governments, state governments are becoming less and less willing to say, yes, we'll let you walk away from this without penalty because it's impacting their economic stability. Um, so you have to determine if I'm postponing my event, if I'm canceling it, if I'm trying to schedule in the future, 
what's going to be a viable date and what are my potential financial ramifications? Not only are we facing the loss of revenue, but potentially penalties on top of that. So you have less money coming in and potentially more money going out, which we all know, even from balancing our own checkbooks is not a recipe for <laughs> success. Nope. Um, so <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we have to, we have to live within our means. It really then is going to determine what those programs look like as they move forward. How much money are they going to have in order to build a successful event? And this is important because they, they really thrive on exhibitor contribution and everybody's feeling the pinch of COVID. So your exhibitor sponsors maybe don't have the money to invest right now because they're also feeling the strains of the economic impact. Um, you aren't getting maybe as much in terms of membership fees as you typically would have. Um, so all of these are starting to compound. Um, virtual right now gives everybody a little bit of relief because there's no overwhelming operational costs when you talk about executing the event, right? So it takes some dollars in expense off the table right away. Um, but we all thrive in a face-to-face -face environment and it's not the same experience. And this is what's going through the back of everyone's head. How do we maintain until we can get to a space where we can effectively have a hybrid event or be back together and what will back together look like? And when we're back together, how much is that going to cost us to safely execute an event? COVID is like the new green movement, right? When being sustainable and environmentally friendly really became a thing, it was very expensive to do, right? Very expensive to have biodegradable materials, not have water bottles. Um, and as that continued and, and manufacturing kind of caught up, it became more affordable. This is the next wave of that. So in order to be health and safety compliant, you have all of these additional measures like UVD lighting, hand sanitizer, temperature stations, physicians on call. That's new expense that they didn't have before. And that also has to be paid for. So um, I think for some, you know, they're probably going to look to continue to postpone those that are being proactive are going to add virtual elements and they're doing it very proactively. Um, as this continues, it will be come more and more difficult for exhibitors and corporate partners to, to flip on a dime from live to virtual. There's not enough time in there, especially in healthcare from a regulatory perspective. You can't churn out content in less than four weeks time that is compliant and, and satisfactory from a regulatory standpoint they're going to have to kind of continue to evolve and evolve quickly and, and really be proactive in their thought process. So as you've seen this develop and you're getting feedback from your membership, have you seen some companies or let's, let's say societies, let's start with societies, but have you seen some societies adapt better than others? Yeah, absolutely. I think some have transitioned very quickly um, and have been very complete. I, I, from my personal perspective, I think the ones that have been the most successful thus far have been very transparent with their advisory boards. They're actively engaging with their exhibitors to say, what's working for you? What's not working? How can we deliver a mutually beneficial experience? Um, so they're taking that feedback and they're integrating it into their planning process. Um, and those seem to go a long way. Um, others where it's We'll let you know. We'll have information for you in a couple of weeks. We're still trying to figure it out. There's mounting, mounting frustration, and it, it simply gets too late. It becomes too late for those exhibitors to participate effectively, and they don't. So it's, it's minimizing the experience and therefore the revenue. It's kind of a vicious cycle. 
Yeah, I um, typically go to a meeting every year in Europe called the ESCRS. It's held in early to mid-September. And they just, like a week ago, uh, sent out their exhibitor information. And each time they send it out, it's updated a little bit more and they give you a little bit more information. So every few days as they continue to promote what they're doing, but it is not good news, especially for small and medium. Yeah, even for large participants. Um, I don't know if Ted froze there, but I'll kind of jump in. Yeah. So it's it's definitely kind of a trickle down effect in terms of information. And I think just setting expectations on timelines is helpful. Um, everybody understands we're kind of learning as we go along and we're creating and cultivating and curating as we go along. <laughs> we, it's we just all, much more difficult. Well, I think we all froze. I think we all froze here. And it's because for the listeners, uh, three of us have pretty wild thunderstorms going through the area and who knows how that's <laughs> affecting us. But let's go back to what you were just uh, saying, Jamie. I was filling while we were waiting for you to come back, Ted. Um, <laughs> she was doing the song and dance. Yeah, she was a master. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, you know, it's hard. They're, they're really quickly trying to put a program together. It's a learning curve for all of us. And I think that's especially true in healthcare. Um, and not to, to um, dismiss my own industry, but I feel like healthcare is always a little bit behind when you think about how we push content, the technology that we use. Um, we're just not as sexy on the front end. It takes us a couple of years to catch up to everybody else. And that's typically because the focus is on scientific innovation and that's where our investment goes. So, you know, with COVID, you had this immediate, our content has to be digital and it has to be highly engaging and we were not prepared for that. And I think that's true too from an association standpoint. Um, so everybody's piecing it together as quickly as they can in order to be successful. Yeah, I think everyone's everyone's on this learning curve, the associations also, they don't want to overpromise and underdeliver, you know, so they're just not saying anything. And we're, we're finding quite a few of our clients are getting a little frustrated with it. They've invested this money in this, in this upcoming event, but they don't actually know what they're getting for, for the money they've already paid. Um, mm -hmm. And that's leading to some, some frustration, I think. And, you know, understandably, but understandable from both sides also. So. Yeah, I think that's true because, uh, again, you know, from an association perspective, like you said, it's a, it's a business like we all are running. And so you, you've got to understand they're holding out as long as they can to make a decision. Can I possibly, you know, ease into a more normal approach to COVID, you know, environment for my meeting? And so you don't blame them for holding out as long as they can before they make that go, no go decision, or it's going to be virtual or it's going to be a hybrid or whatever their circumstances are. And there's a lot of considerations. And I think, you know, earlier in the spring when we were, you know, kind of pontificating about what it's going to be like, we now have had, you know, a few weeks, at least I'd say probably over the summer, June, July, you know, now into August, where we're seeing some actual events take place. And I think there's also a mad scramble mm -hmm. from a society and an industry perspective where we're like, well, that didn't go well, you know, what do we need to do differently? And so, you know, if you, you made the decision, you're going to go virtual. Great. Well, now let's do it better though than that thing we just attended last week. And it has ramifications and there is just sort of this frenzy that we're in, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> also in the virtual world, there's been some, some pretty epic fails as far as, you know, really beautifully put together content and really large corporations who've just 
missed some of the details and, and no one's been able to access their, their virtual event, you know, during the opening keynote. So again, there's, there's everyone's very sort of trepidatious about how to move forward. Uh, um, and I think everyone understands why. Good example mm -hmm. out there. So, yeah. and just, just so, as far as, as timing goes, too, just just so you know, from from our point of view, we're building virtual events for people, and we're recommending you know twelve to fourteen weeks in development. Um, wow. Put together, yeah, and that's that's, that's a long that's, lead time. I mean, not to say that that's not what you need, but I'm just thinking in terms of even some of our clients where we haven't started yet and the program is fast approaching, right. I don't think I've got enough of a buffer in there. So that's great insight. Yeah, no, it, it's a, again, if people are wanting to do something engaging, unique with really well produced content, um, you need that amount of time to get all that together and, and, and test and test and test, you know, sure. decibel and everything works. So mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of that stress testing. That wow, that's sobering. Yeah. So, um, Jeannie, I'm going to make you put your Siemens hat on. Sure. And you know, looking at your role at Siemens, what has the approach approach been to this challenge? Because you've got meetings and events that you have to participate all over the world. You know, are you is it a defensive approach? Is have you been agile? What do you think? Um, I, I would say we're trying to be as agile as we can. Um, I, I think the longer this continues, we'll probably become more aggressive in our approach. And, and this is speaking purely with my corporate hat on and my HCEA hat off. Um, you know, I, we, everybody is really pressing to see the return on investment, right? And I would tell you, while we've had some great virtual events and, and we participated in some great virtual events, that roadmap of clearly is the return on investment there for us yet? I don't think it, it really is. Um, so there are key things that we will look for as we continue down this path. And when you think about it from an education perspective, everybody says content is key. When I think about it from a corporate standpoint and am I delivering value to my company, I would tell you data is key. And I'm going to be more complimentary to a show with the more data that I get. So, mm -hmm. and, and that's, I think, going to be a breaking point for a lot of companies, small or large, as they continue, is, is they really want that transparency to data. And it's quite honestly, it's not a new argument from a participant standpoint. We have been right. asking for years of, if you're doing a heat map at the show, can you share your data with me? If you're capturing this, can you share your data with me? And this is just a whole nother level on that corporate perspective of, we know you're capturing this data, why aren't you sharing it with me? So that I think is going to be the rub as, as this continues. So, and that will force companies to be more aggressive in how they approach events and not just Siemens, any company. Now, were you involved in any of the work regarding the Siemens exhibit at the ECR in Vienna? Yeah, a little bit. We have a, a very large team both here in the U.S. and in Germany, and it's, it's a team approach. Yep. How did, did you get any feedback as to how that went? That particular, that, because that's a pretty, I mean, as large, as large meetings go, that's a pretty early meeting in the virtual world. Yeah, it really was. Um, I think everybody is very proud of the output um, for Siemens for ECR. And realistically, all of that was pulled together within five weeks time, which is nothing short of a miracle. Um, and, and to Mike's point, you think about timing for execution of these events, 
12 to 14 weeks is, is right on the money. That's the ideal time scenario. And that's just from a programming standpoint that has nothing to do with us pulling together content, getting it approved through regulatory, legal compliance in every possible country where this is going to be, you know, seen. Um, so we, you know, felt like it was pretty successful. ECR is a great example of an organization that worked with their exhibitors to understand how to partner well in, in this new environment. And, and we appreciated that very much. So it definitely helped create a beneficial experience. So for the listeners, the ECR is the European um, radiology meeting. Uh, and it's a big meeting. If it was an in-person mm -hmm. meeting, it'd be huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what is the typical attendance? I know RSNA claims to be one of the world's largest medical meetings that have, I think about 55,000. Um, so ECR has got to be a close, I mean, in the radiology world, that's probably number two, right? It is. It is number two. I think they're usually around 30, 35,000. So oh, okay. in attendance yeah, in Vienna. So yeah, it's a yeah. big show. Well, congratulations for making a quick transition and at least getting something out of that show. Thanks. I think some of the team is still recovering from that one, but yeah, we were happy with it. <laughs> Probably sleeping in. They're not recovering from <laughs> drinks or anything because they weren't there to have any drinks. But um, Great. So now we're going to uh, change gears a little bit here and uh, go ask Mike a couple questions. But, you know, you're a major provider of event solutions. And of course, in the past, it's been typically in terms of hardware, hard exhibits that get erected on a on a big trade show floor. Um, so you also have a view and you've made a couple comments already related to societies and industry. From 30,000 feet, what insights do you have, you know, as you look at this whole environment? Um, just to, to build on what Jeannie was saying that the, the more successful activations that we've done in healthcare recently have been with the associations that are willing to open up their platform a little bit and, and let people do custom things inside of that. You know, there are a lot of these event platforms out there, um, virtual platforms out there that can host a, a series of very generic um, presences, I guess, for, for, their, for the sponsors. And the ones that have been most successful, the ones who've had the best feedback, are those associations who are willing to allow to take that presence and take it to another place and create a custom experience that someone else, a third party has built on behalf of, of that sponsor or that exhibitor. So um, we're seeing that across the board. We're seeing um, in other industries as well, um, people having a, a virtual presence um, and then being able to plug in whatever they want to plug in, links to other resources and links to their websites, links to virtual environments we've created, um, really does start to create a value proposition for people to attend um, that that portion of the of the event. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing we've seen that's been very successful is incentivizing people to actually attend that that portion of the event. Clearly, in healthcare, there are a lot of regular regulatory mm -hmm. issues around that, but yeah. um, there are there are certain ways I think that that could be incorporated more into into these platforms also. Well, that's interesting. So that's not unlike having a physical booth, you know, where you're trying to build traffic and you might give away a, a book, a clinical book or a right. patient model or something like mm -hmm. that, that might be appropriate, but uh, they're doing that virtually now. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lunch and learns are, are very in vogue right now where you're sending a voucher or you're sending a lunchbox 
So that's the alternative. Mm -hmm. yeah. Lisa, Lisa was talking about an organization that was sending steak dinners to people. Yeah, Eat and Gage. Uh, have you all heard of Eat and Gage? No. Um, so they're actually now a, a partner of ours. We've uh, we've formed an alliance actually just this week. And um, uh, you know, when it comes to a medical event, you know, we're accustomed to lunch and learns, dinner symposia, medical advisory boards and the like. Well, you know, you're competing for just something a little more unique and, and yet also trying to make uh, that seem like it emulates that in-person rapport mm -hmm. that you can build with a physician or nurse or administrator. So uh, Eat Engage, what you do is, you know, you schedule your go-to meeting, your webinar, whatever your platform is, and um, you in, uh, get in touch with the Eat Engage folks, and they uh, offer up to each of the attendees uh, a menu in their local market um, of different restaurants and different foods. And so at the time that you're about ready to start your program virtually, uh, you know, the doorbell rings for them and they get an, a nice hot meal of a, a restaurant in their, in their neighborhood. Um, and they're literally eating what you provided them while you're going through slides and having a discussion. So it's the next best way to kind of replicate again, that kind of a dinner symposium or dinner, um, just a business dinner. That's great. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah, I know. It's brilliant. But so Lisa, staying with you, anything to add from the standpoint of small companies, you know, and startups in terms of this new environment? You know, sadly, yeah, because, um, you know, Jeannie, I think your insights are so incredibly valuable um, about the, the woes of the societies or the associations in their situation. But I, I also feel like it has to be recognized that you can't, you know, pass the buck, right? It's like, just, I mean, cause you're hurting doesn't mean I'm going to be price gouged to support you and, and supplement that loss of revenue by paying an exorbitant fee to be an exhibitor. If I don't find that there's enough value in the package to do so. Um, and so I, I feel like from a, a small, um, you know, device or biotech pharma company standpoint, or even midsize, um, you know, I might be forced to, as a marketing leader, think about an alternative. Um, and that's painful. I mean, I, I want to support my societies for sure, but I also have to look out for my best interest if I don't have the dollars or if I, you know, if I'm going to pay an, a nice fee to be virtually at some program, but I don't get the visibility out of it, I'm going to be forced to think, okay, what else can I do? Um, you know, how else might I band together with maybe, um, again, synergistic companies that work in the same area of mine, maybe, you know, we, we don't compete with one another, but, um, you know, the doctors who we target are the same doctors. And so maybe pulling together three or four companies we start to develop our own educational curriculum and, you know, it's a lot more visibility for me as one of the contributors to that than supporting a society in a virtual trade show realm. So I, I do think that like it or not, and I know we don't necessarily like it, that this is pushing us all to do things we don't necessarily want to do, but out of necessity, we're going to have to consider it. Mm -hmm. And I would tell everyone the, the first right step to take, always is to reach out to your association, whether it's you as the agency or the individual company, or it's two or three companies who are finding themselves in the same position saying, Hey, now more than ever, you need a corporate advisory board. We're here. We're willing to do the work. We're willing to give you these insights. We've done however many shows this time over. 
Um, and so we can give you these insights to deliver a better experience. Um, <clears throat> we have an obligation to do that, right? We, and in healthcare in particular, your association is giving you that credibility and authenticity with your customer. It, it's a simple fact. Um, and we, we never want to stray from that. But sometimes we have to have that conversation and hope that it goes well. And I, I think most are amenable, but we're all overwhelmed. That is the common denominator here. Right. Absolutely. Well, and Ted, I know last uh, week in our part one of this series, um, you know, you had gone to a program where it was interesting uh, the way that they handled it. And I thought it won't work for all these different types of shows. And certainly the society couldn't do this for their big annual event necessarily. But, you know, it was a very, you know, it was a small group, what, 150, I think you said you had. And they they sort of leveled the playing field no matter what your sponsor level was you know you had these basic foundational elements of numbers of you know materials that you could upload for for playing and downloading of brochures and the package included which to me was the sweetest thing that they could have done uh was access access to the providers so you know you were guaranteed to have uh, what was it ted a couple of appointments Weird. We were guaranteed to have five um, email introductions to uh, people that, so we sent them out of the entire list of attendees, we sent them uh, a, a list of about 10 or 15 people that we thought were really aligned with what we wanted to talk about. And uh, they gave us uh, email introductions to five of them. And then they also had a speed networking program that was really effective. Um, during their breaks and we met several people in the speed networking that turned into leads so mm -hmm. and finally they gave us a 10-minute presentation to all the attendees so, yeah small, so again not appropriate meeting, but very very effective I, yeah. I, I think it was a good investment couldn't happen with ECR or RSNA for sure but you know those kind of out-of-the-box uh, valuable elements um, should be maybe explored you know however mm -hmm. it could be managed on that particular level and you know I say it couldn't work on RSNA level but what if you you know you are you you go after a particular specialty you know it's radiology but maybe it's breast radiologists or something like that and you start to break the group down in in you know different uh, segments and that allows you some more latitude in how you might be a little bit more intimate with them in a way mm -hmm. right yeah well um really quickly here i'm going to share my screen if it's going to oh previews unknown that's interesting so this is the penalty for upgrading to catalina <laughs> it doesn't know what I want to share. So I guess I'm, um, let's see. I guess I'm not going to do that. Okay. <laughs> what I was going to share you is the pricing for the CSCRS yeah. uh, program that's in, in Europe. And um, you'll find this interesting, Mike. To have your own virtual booth, you have to be platinum level, and that is 189,000 euros. Yep. So you have mm -hmm. to. You have to give them 189,000 euros before you can even be allowed to have a virtual booth. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's so. crazy. I think that is crazy. I mean, yeah. And I will tell you at the HCEA level, that's something that we're looking at. I've heard from so many people lately across all of the sectors of healthcare of, hey, somebody needs to step in at some point because even for the big players, 
$180,000, I, I, I would yeah. <laughs> think twice. Yeah, question so. about it. Again, you understand the motivation, right? Someone's got, they're, they're bleeding and they want to stop the bleeding. I get it, but we're all bleeding. So it doesn't quite seem like that just gets passed along, you know? Mike, I think you were saying something and I think I might've cut you off. No, you no. Know, I mean, I just, I, it, it just makes me um, confused, I guess, as to what, how they see this as being sustainable. You know, there's going to have to be a, a value proposition they bring to the table, you know, otherwise people are going to start looking at other options, whether it's their own proprietary event or banding with others, like you were saying, teaming up with the two or three other partners um, and creating something else because there has to be some value to the, to the um, sponsor, to the exhibitor. Otherwise, it's... Yeah. As, a, as, a, as an example, my client, a French company, will not go to the ESCO. ESCRS this year, they would typically budget. We did the math. My client and I did the math the other day, and I would wouldn't be surprised that he spends <clears throat> between booth space, all shipping, blah blah blah, and people being there. He's a small company, maybe a twenty foot in line, um, and probably fifteen thousand euros would be spent in that meeting, um, and in the local area restaurants, hotels, but he will not go this year. So uh, they, they've lost a 20 foot inline. I'm sure they're going to lose all the small uh, exhibits and so on. So anyway, let's move on here a second. And, you know, let's talk about the differences between like an in-person uh, trade show and a virtual uh, trade show. Now, uh, Jeannie, a minute ago, you mentioned one of the real important ones is you don't have that human interaction that, that goes on that, that, that is so important from networking, from so many standpoints. Um, mm -hmm. Any other thoughts you have on the difference between in-person and uh, virtual? Yeah. <clears throat> I think everybody right now is kind of in that exploratory phase of what's the secret sauce that closely replicates what we would experience when we are in person together. Um, so I think those moments where you can integrate live engagement through sessions or meetings or what have you, it's going to be beneficial. You know, it's just, that is what we are all craving in it. And I had said at the beginning of COVID, that's part of the reason why we got so quickly into quarantine is we are a society that thrives on community engagement. Right. Yeah. So we need to kind of find those mechanisms that allow for that sense of community to come across. That's where we all thrive. And Mike, which, how, how do you view it? Well, I think there, you know, there are a lot of similarities actually between the sort of strategic approach to a virtual event as, as there are to a live event. You want, you know, clear goals and objectives, um, understand your audience, uh, have some really strong communication, clear, you know, clear messaging. You, networking, you know, is the number one reason that people go to live events. I mean, there's, there's building your own network of people, opportunities, the hallway conversations, the whatever you want to call them, the things, the ad hoc conversations, trying to create that environment you know, on a virtual platform is something we're striving really hard to do. And we've, we've had some success with being able to schedule meetings with people that you can see are also at the event. Um, and, and, you know, knowing who else is there and being able to identify them and reaching out to them, there's opt-in, there's opt-out, there's all these other, you know, gateways to, to that. But yeah, creating that sense of community is, is creating you know, from group chats, we've, we've been doing a lot of group chats, um, to one-on-one -on -one chats within virtual events. They're all things that help create that, again, that access. 
um, and that networking that everyone's looking for. Do you think we can make up for the loss of elements of this emotive experience? Can we make up for it? Well, technology's improving pretty quickly, you know, the, and, the, and everyone who's already had a platform is improving their platform. Everyone is scrambling to create the next best thing, and there are some people in between. But I don't, I don't think, you know, if you go back to Aristotle, you know, a solitary life is for, you know, goats and gods, whatever it was. But I think we're as a as a species, we're we're innately meant to spend time with other people in you know physically around us yeah. and that that's never going to be able to be replicated i don't think um other than getting together the excitement that you feel walking into a, a crowded keynote or a trade show floor or you know a lot of what we have been doing in the past is to create environments that can't be recreated any other way um, and that's how we judge our our events as being good is that you couldn't do this any other way than way we've been doing it so I, I think there, there's there's always one of the things we're seeing is there all there will now always be this virtual amplification mm -hmm. of live events so when things are happening live there will also be a, a virtual digital version of that um, and and we're seeing that you know in the short term we're seeing networking not being the thing people can't go to live events but so what is the next thing that's going to make people go to a live event is it is it to see the content you know for the first time just to see that amazing science um to learn the greatest and, and maybe to meet one or two people you know it's going to be a much more targeted i think group that go to live events we're also seeing those live events being used as content generation engines so if if something is being presented there rather than set a studio up presented at the live event um capture that and then distribute that through all the other channels amplify that messaging um, so that, that's going to be the next, I think, reason people will go to live events. Allow okay. that information to get out there. So, Lisa, what have we missed here? You want to have the final word on that? Well, you know, again, I think we're, we're feeling our way through this all and we're doing what we can to replicate the reason that you get together in the first place. Again, networking, sure, there's some ways you can virtually accommodate that. Um, you certainly can present content. We know that we've done that even before COVID hit. We've been doing, you know, web meetings for a long time and webcasts and things and, um, you know, podcasts even for a long time. So you can impart clinical information. The real challenge I think for a lot of people is, you know, I, I have a, uh, a physical product, you know, I don't have a software, I have a product that you want to touch, you want to see it, you want to get it the size of the dimension of it and walk around it. Um, you know, how do we do that? Of course, there's great CAD programs that can allow you to pan, zoom, rotate and, you know, things like that, that can get you close, but just not quite. <laughs> so, you know, I think we're doing the best we can to think about the ways that you or the objectives you have as a company going to a trade show or any kind of an event and finding an alternative for that. The one that I mentioned last time when we talked about this is, is still true. As a smaller or mid-sized company, I strategically position my booth near a big guy like a Siemens. <clears throat> You know, I'd be across the street from uh, where Jeannie is so that I could get her overflow. I don't know how you replicate that. You know, that's, 
that's really got to be physical, I think, because I would want to see that there's a lot of traffic at her booth and I would want to be there to capture people as they walk by, driven towards what she's got going on and I catch them afterwards. Um, I also think that there's that element, again, as a small exhibitor, and that's where I'm at in my, my stage of company development, that you know I, I want to catch someone just sort of roaming right um and there is no real true roaming that happens in this virtual world of the of the trade show i mean you have to pretty much purposefully click on something it's not like you can just be at a booth and go oh there's next door i'm going to go next door it just doesn't work like that and so i'm i'm wondering how we'll get at that particular element for the smaller guy that's a good point i mean when i've run sales for and marketing for small, medium-sized organizations, I frequently send the sales team, I'll say, well, just go walk the aisles, see who you mm -hmm. run into, go out in the halls and, you know, invite people to the booth. Uh, you can't, like you said, you can't do that. You know, that's a brilliant uh, point too, that, you know, the trade show floor is an incredible opportunity. Uh, I always uh, have our teams with assignments, you know, go check this booth out, go check that booth out. And the, you know, you can still go check out the booth, that's not a problem, but you certainly can't observe what kind of traffic there is at that yeah. booth, how engaged are the physicians on that new product launch um, that would never be visible to me anymore as a competitor. So that's another great point is that we've lost that nuance too. Yeah, I think we're all forced to be <clears throat> more intentional in our approach than we've had to be for a very yeah. long time. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and yeah. on that point Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, on that point too, I think it's, it's been easy to be a voyeur to some extent, you know, an anonymous <laughs> voyeur in the trade show floor. You, you don't have to cross the threshold. You don't have to get your badge scanned. No one ever has to know you were there. But if you really want to see what's going on in that space, now you're going to have to give up that information. Um, you're going to yeah. have to. You know, right. so, so that's another interesting. And, and, you know, talking about, you know, PII and, and all those different BDPR issues and, you know, there's a whole range of those things going on again it's gonna people are gonna have to be willing to give up more information if they want to have a quality engagement they don't have an, another option at this point so mm -hmm. trend too. so mike one of the reasons you're here today is because sparks is just famous for the platforms it delivers and so you are making virtual exhibit platforms as a substitute for the, the you know the actual platform the actual exhibits is there a difference between meeting platforms, a meeting platform, and then we have the actual industry or the company's virtual platform? Are, have you noticed, and I'll ask the same of Jeannie here in a second, but have you noticed the difference between the platform that a society presents to um, a company and the kind of virtual platform or some of the strategies the company has to uh, entertain to participate in it. Sorry, you, you cut in and out there a second, a little bit, but I think I caught the, the, cat, the okay. question. I think there are multiple sort of solutions to any problem, and, and the scalability of that solution is something that's important. A lot of the associations are providing these platforms that are easier to manage, they're more generic in their offering, they have some more limitations. Um, some of the people who are doing the more one-off proprietary events are building a platform that suits their goals and objectives and their needs and has the functionality around that. So 
it's 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 a much more targeted solution, and it is obviously less generic. Uh, there is more personalization. There is more opportunity to upload content. There's more opportunity to to actually uh, influence the ways people navigate through that information um, versus the larger off-the-shelf platforms that a lot of the associations are using um, because they're they're try again back to the reliability thing. They're tried and tested. They've been stress tested. They 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 have their track record in place. The engagement itself may not be of the same quality, but they know at some point that it will it will work. You know, so that then the differences we're seeing. Okay. Okay. Um, and then in terms of virtual exhibit platforms, you've got some competitors. You know, how different are these platforms from each other? Like if, if ABC company was to go out and look at two or three offerings, how different are they? There's a couple of different tiers um, and I, based on the products and the amount. And again, we're having to explore different skill sets to, to create this kind of virtual magic that we're creating rather than uh, traditional sort of 3D designers and architects. I mean, we have no gravity now. We have no material costs. We have no limits to the size of, and scope these things can be. We can have minotaurs and unicorns running around. Um, <laughs> if, you, if, you t if you extrapolate it, it goes in that direction. So, so we are sort of incorporating much more of a, a movie production kind of skill set um, and uh, animation and that kind of stuff, as well as the traditional sort of 3D design and content delivery mechanisms that we're, we're used to. So it, it's, it's a really liberating but scary um, time right now because we're all having to adjust our skill sets to be able to produce, uh, you know, environments that are willing, will keep, keep people engaged for a reasonable amount of time. And when you say there's different tiers, do you offer a couple of these different tiers? Sure, we, we, we have tiers where you can, and again, it depends on the, the ability of our uh, audience to be able to access the end product. So some of the products we're putting out there are, are web hosted, they're very light, they're very quick to download. Um, other people want a more high-end experience where it takes a little bit longer to download, but the actual interaction you have after that point is is pretty amazing. You know, we're, we're doing things now with like game controllers, like an Xbox controller, so you can actually drive, be first person drive yourself through the space, click on anything you want, that, that, you know, you have real people walking around you, um, other people walking around you, you never bump into each other because there's collision engines in there and that kind of stuff. It takes a little bit longer to develop, or you can you can sort of take a even even our approach though to a traditional uh, trade show exhibit is a lot different in that we used to be we used to have islands right now we're we're basically building interiors so you stand in the middle of the space and it doesn't matter where you look you're you're getting a brand message you know or a product message so it's a very different approach okay okay and we if talked mind, earlier about I go ahead in, sorry Lisa. Uh, this is where Mike. I'm so excited to you know have have you all here. Have you here? Um, is to ask about you know. So I walk up to a booth and I walk inside the booth because, like you said, it's this environment. It's there's an interior to it, um, and I don't mind because you know I'm not physically doing it, so I don't feel trapped walking in the door. But I I do. I come in the door and it's your booth. So there's 
people who can greet me at a reception counter. I can go up to a video and engage that. Are there any other real novelties that you're seeing on the horizon, developed yet or not, that are ways to engage? I mean, like you said, the, the whole idea of that virtual experience where I'm physically passing people who are real people you know, in this environment is cool. I, that's the first yeah. I've heard of that. I look forward to seeing it. But, you know, engaging my physician in my booth, is there anything just like on the cutting edge of, of things that you could share? Well, combining that virtual environment with a, a video conference like this, you can actually have a live hosted tour of the, of the environment. So you can be on the, you can be with your customer walking around the space together. You will both see the same thing on screen. Again, all the contents available, the videos, the presentations, um, you know, and they can actually talk you through it. And as you have questions, you can address them and you can, one of the other things we're doing that sort of, again, talks to the device market is we actually have within this environment, the ability to pick things up and, and turn them around 360 degrees. So you can nice. actually look at something, you can zoom into it, you can zoom out from it. Um, but, but that is now a possibility also. Okay. Um, and links to, you know, Creating a, a great experience also sometimes includes creating links to existing other existing assets within that environment. So if there's a, a, a you want to go deeper, you have that link to an existing uh, site or other asset that you have, um, and then you can go deep into that particular piece of content. Downloading, being able to download and take away PDFs of literature, again something we've we've been doing in our in our virtual environments also. Um, there's a lot of different things, and and just we, we always like to put in a few fun things. Um, you know, we've we've got butterflies that fly around. If you click on the butterfly, a, a random video comes up of one of our executives. Or, or you know, <laughs> one of the one of the exhibits we do, we had a pigeon up in the rafters, and it and it has things saying, "Don't poke the pigeon." And then you you poke, obviously everyone wants because you're exploring. Everyone wants to poke the pigeon. It's not not cool at all. Anyway, so but putting those kind of moments in, like mm -hmm. we do with our live events, those moments of unexpected, just fun, you know, uh, are things mm -hmm. that people should should be doing as well. It, it's business, but it, it's got to have a, you know, if you don't if, you, if you're not laughing, you're crying. So it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, great. So Thanks. did did we did we decide whether or not you could show us a, like a sort of a Sparks, um, sure, the Sparks booth. Sure, I'll show you. I'll show you the Sparks booth. I think I permitted sharing. Yep. I love the butterflies. That is <laughs> a really a cool idea. idea. Mm -hmm. and, and a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he. I mean, you know, you can see. Uh, can you see my screen? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So here, I mean, it, it start the, the. You know, we we always like to start with having a few tips. So. You know, just again, it's intuitive to most people, but just to make sure everyone is understanding it. Um, and then making things easy to access. So, you know, we have these, what we call hotspots. This is this is the lighter version of the 3D um, stuff we're doing. But there are a couple, of, a couple of things to point out. So down on the bottom left here, we have also have a menu-driven um, navigation uh -huh. piece as well. Very nice. Um, let me just try to see if I can go through. And you know, as you roll over things, you know this. So this takes you to our Get Back to Business website, for example, and, and you can go deep in this, and it's it's the fully functioning website. 
and it's in this, again, we're calling this an iframe that comes up. You can, you know, on here you can make appointments with these people. Um, you, can see, you can see what role they play in the company. Um, so there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different things to explore. There's video content, um, again, existing assets that will play with audio. That's nice. Um, and it doesn't matter where I look, you know, I'm seeing a finished environment. Um, if we go over here, I'll show you this. The, uh, again, the ability to click on an object and then look at it, zoom in. I'm going to do it now. But zoom in and out. Yeah, we can actually look at it from any angle and put it back on the shelf. So, again, if, if you were having a live um, tour with someone, or again, you're having a, just a, a Zoom meeting like this and, and you're walking through it together, um, it's, it's a very, uh, it, again, intuitive and fun way to navigate through the information. If we look at, you know, the other, another thing we were playing with was this idea of scale. So, I can actually go into this smaller exhibit and now all the stuff in the background is kind of grayed out so it's this other level of, of um, content and with this one again we were looking at zooming in and then a different way to interact with the information is if I just roll over it it just starts automatically so let's see if I can find the pigeon he's up here somewhere <laughs> no, don't mess with the pigeon. There he is. No. The oh, there's the pigeon. <laughs> Very cool. Please, not again. <laughs> so these, so um, this software package that creates this exhibit, this is yep. this is actually very impressive, and it's the first time that I've been really brought into a virtual exhibit. So I guess you could probably have several different levels of templates and complexity that somebody can choose from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the number of, you know, the amount of content you want to, the, the, the costs are driven by the number of sort of points of view you want to have, the number of these hotspots you want to have, obviously the amount of content you want uploaded into each one of these, um, you know, areas, the, the amount of interactivity. So if you want to be able to schedule appointments with people, that's kind of an added you know, an added um, plug-in we have to put in there. Um, and then, you know, obviously with healthcare, we, we, we have to be very careful about things like when you first land on this page, make sure you understand what class of, of, of drug you're looking at, for example, in the pharma industry. If it's a, if it's a pipeline area, you know, you need to, there's a clear separation between um, all the same rules apply that apply to the physical world. So again, we've, we've got some pretty novel ways of doing that. And I'd love to share the sort of stuff we've done, but again, it's all proprietary information and stuff that's um, not ready for public, the public domain yet. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty sophisticated tool. And, and, and from here, you know, there's a range of um, options you can do as far as you can, you can have this as a standalone piece. What we have found, though, is to embed this kind of 3D environment within a, again, a platform kind of approach where, um, you know, it, this is part of the event platform that you're creating for a particular event. 
or for trade show. So I'm going to stop sharing now. Any idea, do you have any concept of, I mean, this is a really unfair question, <laughs> of the cost of, of this? You know, so for example, let's say it's a small, medium-sized company. They want to have the ability to, um, and it's a diagnostic company with perhaps, maybe they've got five key instruments that they would like to be able to have somebody walk up to, click on it, and it, it would give that person the ability to do the 360, look around, whatever maybe the ability to pick up, you know, up to 10 different pieces of literature that they could download by visiting. And then a couple interaction one-on-one -on -one spots where they can actually communicate with uh, a member of the company. Um, how much is, I guess I, we probably also have to throw in because it only makes sense, a couple video screens that perhaps yeah. explain the products. How much is a company looking at for something like that? It, I mean, it's really, it's really a sliding scale, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna completely dodge the question. I will get there. Just bear with me. Um, <laughs> you know, obviously, there's the cost. There's the cost to create the environment in the first place. So we're actually the same cost you would have to create any kind of um, trade show environment or event. There's a you know, 3D designer, 2D designer, interactive guy sitting down, figuring out what goes where and how, and what the story is, and the messaging, and how that incorporates. So that's a that, that cost pretty much stays the same as in, in in real life. Then on top of that is the is the is the level of interactivity. So how many videos, how much content, how many features do you want built into that? So you know, you're looking you're looking in the thirty to sixty thousand dollar range, you know, for a, a reasonable size. Um, presence. We've done we've done things a lot less than that. We've done things a whole lot more than that also. So it's, it's, again, it's it's based on the functionality you want. Um, for a full, if you wanted to create an again, one of the things we do is proprietary events that are somewhat associated with um, existing associations or trade shows. But like we're doing for a lot of clients again outside of healthcare, but sometimes. For example, CES, we, we do have activations in Las Vegas at the same time that CES is going on that are not officially, you know, linked to that particular thing. So you have the audience physically there. Um, so if, if, if a company wanted to have launch a new, the latest and greatest news, and it happened to coincide with, a, a, you know, an association's event that was happening at that particular time, you know, that's, that's certainly something I don't see how they could regulate as long as they're not affiliating themselves with that particular event in any way. And again, I'm sure that, that there'll be some more discussion around that and whether how ethical that is. But people are finding the right time to release their news. And one of the, one of the other examples we've done is, you know, Natera wanted to just take this time to talk about um, and update everyone on the COVID situation um, to do with, you know, organ transplants and they had a, a town hall meeting where they created a, um, a custom custom event platform um, they had some keynote speakers um, but it was for you know patients and providers um, partners to attend and all I did was announce what was going on because obviously it's a very with COVID it's, it makes the whole situation a lot more difficult to navigate in the transplant world because it is so time time sensitive so um, you know, I think that there's a lot of a lot of ways people are, are starting to look at virtual 
in a completely different way. You know, there were a lot of events that were three intense days of content jammed together, you know, eight hours a day, you're, you're at this thing. The fact of the matter is now is that we're all living this mixed reality where we have, we're at home, we have, you know, things happening in our lives that we need to attend to. Um, people are really only willing to sit in front of a computer for 45 minutes to an hour before they need to get up and take a break. So, in, so instead of doing three days of content, why not? Why can't we make it three weeks of content with an hour and a half each day or an hour a day, you know, and make it an episodic longer time span. We don't have the cost of venue, we don't have the cost of staff, you know, we don't have the cost of accommodation in a, in a, in a, in a different place. So thinking about virtual events in a completely different way to the traditional way we think about time and space is something that people are starting to really dig into as well. It's, it's just rethinking what an event needs to be. So that, so that brings me to a couple of points. One is that if they've made this investment in, in this virtual exhibit, well, just like a hard exhibit, they have this virtual exhibit to keep. They could actually attach it to their website. So they could be using it. And I've seen companies do this. Um, they can use it year round. So it becomes a, a, a bigger tool. And I'm sure that they could go in and change a point here or a point there. They just call you up and say, we need to change this video or we need to change yep. this product display. And here's what you need to do it. And if, you know, they get it, it's like changing out a countertop or sure. something okay. like that. Yeah, a yeah. light panel, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly like that. So we're creating these uh, these environments that we, we are, despite my mention of, you know, no gravity and minotaurs and unicorns, they want to represent the brand in the way the brand likes to be represented. So, so they, they do need to be somewhat familiar to people who already have a, you know, a relationship with that brand. Um, but yeah, updating content, rescaling, reducing. We can, we can do things like limit sight lines too. So instead of it being a... 360 degree, we're just, we can only see this portion. Um, and again, depending on what the latest and greatest news is, we can, we can swap that information in and out and really focus people's attention, again, like with a, a, a in real life exhibit, where we want their uh, attention to be, so. Okay. And then as you started talking about, maybe we have a, a, an event that takes place over a week or two weeks instead of two or three days, um, that sort of brings us to the whole concept of what is the future going to be? Because we're hearing, and I've heard this really uh, from Lisa first, and then we all talked about this last week as we we're preparing, but things like a hub, hub and spoke system, for example. So what, what do we think the future is going to be? Je uh, Jeannie, you want to take a shot at that? Well, I think you both have kind of hit on it. I, I agree with Mike, the, the model of you're going three days, eight hours a day hard, I think will evaporate. People are tired. Um, it's a lot. We're trying to manage home and family in the background. So um, I think that goes away here probably pretty soon. Um, and those schedules become more flexible and allows for a better balance. Um, I think there's a lot of merit to hub and spoke overall and overwhelmingly when you look at the various data reports that are out there, in particular in healthcare, the sentiment is not so positive on returning to these large controlled events. Um, and it is our audience, right? It's, it's physicians and clinicians, scientists. Um, so the, they will probably gravitate more towards smaller events with a, a 
smaller dynamic and this is where you can bring in elements of a bigger program virtually into that same live space they're getting in their car and they're driving home so there's no how do i feed myself where am i staying is it clean do i have to rely on public <laughs> transportation all of those concerns are, are kind of mitigated so um i, I think and, and Lisa mentioned this at the beginning of the call, in some states, those small events are happening. And I, from my Siemens life, I've seen that as well. We've had some chapter events where you're talking about 40, 50 people. Those are still happening. And I, I think that's gonna become more and more popular. Um, it's not a small effort to go from having a large beast of a program to saying, okay, we're gonna have 10 you know, regional shows or road shows, but it's worth exploring for sure. And Mike, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at, we're calling them decentralized events. You know, you might have six major metropolitan cities across the United States all having the same event. The, the other thing to consider, I think, moving forward is the role of technology. You know, mm -hmm. being able to, to, to broadcast that content from one location to another, um, capturing that content and keeping it, um, redistributing it. Um, and even in, in the physical, you know, world, the role of technology is we, took, we already talked about the UVC lights, the blue light technology that's happening. There's going to there's you know already name badges that, that beep when someone's within six feet. You know what I mean? Um, there's going to be a lot of that sort of contact tracing stuff is going to be you know again the technology for that's improving. Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of technology that makes live events possible um, to some extent. But I do believe. Um, the regional events, outdoor events, more open spaces, mm -hmm. less in air-conditioned convention centers. It's going to be cold, it's going to be hot, it's going to be windy, but you're going to get that content one way or another. You know, so I, I, that return to uh, less conditioned spaces, I think, is going to happen also. So we're seeing a lot of trends towards um, traveling shows, so mobile events. You know, a lot of our clients are looking to rather than go to, to go to a convention is take their products to the customer, you know, in some mm -hmm. kind of um, mobile unit that, that allows for a small audience to be in there and schedule time and go from location to location. Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of opportunities, I think, coming out of this as, as well yeah. as obviously the limitations. So. And these smaller events allow for that heightened degree of personalization, right? Which has been a buzzword now in the industry for a while across yeah. all sectors, right? Whether that's through AI or what have you, your CRM. But the minute you scale down in terms of attendance, that becomes much more easy to do. And, and everything is about being a crafted experience. So it's kind of a moment where you can leverage that trend that we're creating these crafted experiences. That's and with Mike, that's what I expect to see is it's going to have more of that feeling to it as we move forward. Yeah, I think the cost, like you're saying, um, the cost per engagement is probably going to go up. But if it's the right people there and it's a targeted audience and it's personalized and it's an amazing thing, then the, the ROI will be there. You know, that's, that's really interesting because in the, uh, even years ago, with diagnostic devices, for example, we might do a road show. You know, you go into a city and you, you get a, um, a suite and you have your sales reps schedule people to come in for small groups to see your technology, whatever it might be. And back then you were, you, you might be successful, you might not. But I'm wondering now, now that the two of you have mentioned this, is it could be much more successful as 
the doctors have no other option or the and or healthcare providers could be nurses they don't have other options and they do want to stay up to date they do want to see their most recent technologies and so they might be more likely now to attend something like that so it could be a very good strategy Sure. I mean, when you think about it, right, RSNA, those mega shows are so successful because it's like the auto show for a physician or a radiologist. Yeah, yeah. It's the one time a year where they can go in and kick the tires on every model that's out there. Yeah. And there's not a replacement right now for that. But technology allows us to replicate that experience and literally bring it to your doorstep. So. So in terms of alternatives, that's a, that's an alternative, small events that are that are targeted. We talked about the webinars. We talked about um, the, what was it called? Eat and Engage or Eat Engage? Eat Engage, yeah. yeah E-A-T-N-G-A-G-E. -E. Okay, got it. Eat Engage, right. Mm -hmm. Talked about that. So those are some alternatives. And those then also become a deciding factor as to whether or not somebody wants to participate in a trade show. If Should I spend money on these other alternatives instead of going to the trade show? Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, anything that I've missed that we should talk about? Lisa, can you think of something that we've missed here in our conversation? Not really. Uh, it feels like we caught a lot of the things that we were intending to with our, our guests here. Yeah. Um, good Excellent. perspective. Well thank, well, thank you, everybody, for participating. And for listeners, if you saw some glitches or some freeze-ups or whatever like that that did occur it's because we had these storms going through and i'm sure that inter interfered with all the cyber communications or, that are involved in a zoom meeting but um uh, Jeannie and mike uh thanks so much for being here lisa thank, thank you, you for collaborating with me and helping to organize that i really appreciate it very much you bet glad to be a part of it thank, thank you, you so all it's great to be here you bet nice to meet all of you too Bye-bye. Well, that was very interesting. And again, I appreciate your patience with the poor video quality, but the content was good if you used your ears. And one thing we learned in this program is that to put together a virtual trade show exhibit is not something you can do in a couple weeks just because it's virtual and it's software. It takes the same amount of time as a brand new exhibit that you're starting from scratch if you're going to make Make one in the pre-COVID world. Make one out of, you know, booth materials and so on. Something that is hardware that you're going to ship. So you really need to plan ahead and work with your vendors, uh, companies like Sparks. In the um, show notes, you will find some really important links. First of all, you'll find the LinkedIn links to Jeannie, Mike, Lisa, and myself. You'll find a LinkedIn link to the, or not a LinkedIn link, but you'll find the um, a link to the website of the Healthcare Convention and Exhibitors Association if you want the appropriate person in your company to explore that further. You'll find a link to uh, Sparks Marketing Corporation, and you'll also find a link to something that Lisa's team did, and they have a video blog, it's not very long, on the art of virtual uh, meetings with some best practices. It's it's really excellent. Short, sweet, but good information. So I put a link in there for that as well. Um, if you like this program, recommend it to a friend, forward it. Uh, if you like the podcast, you can subscribe to it at the website. There's a link uh, to my website in the uh, show notes. Uh, 
again, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us today. Have a great week and go win your week. Mm -hmm.